The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data. Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're going to discuss direct-to-consumer brand marketing. Joining us is Ahmad Hassan, who is the co-founder and CEO of Retina AI, which is a consumer intelligence company focused on customer lifetime value that is transforming the way customer acquisition for high-growth brands such as Nestle, Madison Reed, and Dollar Shave Club operates. And today, Ahmad and I are going to discuss marketing for direct-to-consumer brands. All right, here's my conversation with Ahmad Hassan, co-founder and CEO of Retina AI. Ahmad, welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Ben, thank you so much for having me. Really excited to be here today. Excited to have you as our guest. Excited to talk a little D to C, the marketing phenomenon that's kind of popped up in the last 10 years. And you work with some of the biggest D to C companies. Specifically, I noticed that Dollar Shave Club, which is kind of in the Harry's Dollar Shave Club, some of the innovators of the direct-to-consumer model. First off, talk to me about how you got into direct-to-consumer. So direct-to-consumer is really interesting business because you're building a direct relationship between the brand and the person who's buying it, and you have access to their understanding of how important the product is to them, and you can solve product problems directly for them. The way I got introduced to D2C brands, and I should say consumer brands, is my time back at eBay PayPal, where I ran merchant analytics and got to learn what are the metrics that are important to these companies. And one of the top metrics every D2C company thinks about or cares about is retention. And retention relates directly to lifetime value. So that was the first introduction. And then I got a chance to work at Facebook, where I got to see how D2C companies acquire customers and how much of an expenditure at the customer level is being spent on acquiring these customers and really how ineffective that is. That's how I first got started. After leaving Retina, I moved down to Los Angeles and got to meet with some of these brands and got to see how much of an opportunity there is to work with them and improve LTV to CAC ratio metrics and really even think about it in a much deeper level than had previously been done. But that's how I got started. So a couple of things stick out from what you said. First off, you're a member of the uh, eBay PayPal alumni group. I feel like we should have a secret handshake. (laughs) And then you worked for Facebook. So you probably know they're now CMO Alex Schultz, who Mm -hmm. was another eBay alumni. And 
somebody I worked with a long time ago. And or the original growth guru, right? Like he is the one who coined the growth accounting for terms. And that is a part of Retina's product today. So a little bit of Alex Schultz is like still with what we do. And you've seen Chamath and folks at Social Capital go off and do amazing things with what he got started. And I worked with Alex when he was just one of the guys on the eBay international marketing team. It was him and Dennis Hudahabir. I'm probably butchering his name, but he now works at PayPal and worked for Airbnb and Fanatics. It was a really talented team. Yeah. That said, name dropping aside, when you think about marketing for D2C brands, one of the challenges that I had, I worked for a, a startup that did dry cleaning and laundry delivery. And I don't know if you call this a D2C brand because it's a little bit of a service as opposed to like an e-commerce transaction. But a subscription service, right? Nonetheless. Well, it wasn't a subscription service when I worked there, but it was one that had an important and long lifetime value, right? The average customer order was $30. The average, this is three years ago, so I don't know what their average customer value is now. But back in the day, it was like $30 of value and the average consumer made 10 transactions. So we assumed the customer value was 300 bucks. I'm probably butchering the numbers. Don't quote me on this. And sorry, Rinse team, if I'm right. <laughs> but look, the problem was getting that information and saying which customer is worth $300 and which customer is going to bail after their first transaction is really complicated. Talk to me about how you not only build trust in your lifetime value, but then how do you also tie that back into your marketing efforts to make sure you don't end up upside down on your marketing spend. You hit the nail on the head. Just to give you some context, last year I spent hundreds of hours chatting with private equity firms and investment banks on how they value companies, like especially all these DUC companies who are going through acquisitions, how they value companies. And LTV to CAC ratio came back as a very important metric in that valuation, so much so that it was worth thinking about. And if you think about the problem that you just mentioned, like the first transaction that just happened, you don't know if that customer is buying a gift for somebody else or if they're buying it for themselves, they're going to keep coming back. If you could have an insight or foresight about which of those hundreds of customers you acquired yesterday is really going to stick around, it could solve huge problems. You can think about the money that's being spent today on Google and Facebook. Google and Facebook aren't giving you any insight into which one of these customers are sticking around long term but they're telling you just go convert them. And what we found is that about 30 to 50% of these D2C company businesses customer base is lifetime unprofitable. And that's insane. That's why I think it's a huge problem. Isn't that just kind of the cost of doing business though, right? I'm going to try to get someone to be my customer and my job as an organization is to retain the customer. Is it really up to the Facebooks and Googles of the world to say, not only send me a customer, but then send me somebody that's going to stick around. Part of that is profiling who the customer is, and there's a targeting question. And part of it is you as a brand and the experience that you create, making sure that those customers stick around. Talk to me about... Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then. And instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. 
Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. The difference in LTV when you think about acquisition marketing and retention marketing. So today we see most companies keeping those two buckets completely separate, where you have a growth team that is just trying to get every single customer they can in the door. And then you have a retention team that's then focused on how do we drive LTV higher for a bunch of my existing customer base. Now, what we found, and you know, this is my one of the webinars I ran with the head of measurement at Google, is one of the best form of retention is getting a customer that's a high LTV customer to begin with. Like if you can do that at the acquisition timeframe, then you don't have to spend a lot of effort trying to get some customers who are never going to really change their behavior to be high LTV customers. And let me put this all into some real perspective. So we work with Madison Reed, a women's hair color company. I always confuse Madison Reed and Ashley Madison. And one of them <laughs> is the women's hair color. And the other one is like cheat on your wife website. Yeah. <laughs> Not that one. Let's talk about the women's hair color one. <laughs> okay. We found that for there are a few factors about one of their customer profiles that makes that customer a very, very high LTV customer. The product is just lending super well. Like there is a certain like hair color that if somebody tries that product, it's super sticky. If they go blonde, they eventually are going to want to work their way back to their natural hair color, something like that. That's exactly right. So that's a type of insight that we are able to surface that helps them figure out, all right, we have an amazing product market fit here with this type of a customer. How do we keep making the product better for them? And how do we make it better for the folks that it's not working for? But then there is a lot you can do by saying, all right, this is my current customer base. Things are working well. I can go predict the actual LTV. And then when I go do my Facebook marketing, I can put a bid cap on how much I want to pay for the lookalikes of my high LTV customers, my medium, and my low LTV customers. So even if I'm acquiring the one and done, I can say exactly how much I should think about paying before I say stop spending any more money on these campaigns. I think of LTV as a sliding scale between, yeah, you can go and you can bid for the customers that are likely to be your highest converting or you can also say, look, we're going to take everyone and we're going to invest our efforts into our retention efforts. And you know, you can invest more into higher acquisition costs for more valuable customers, or you can invest more into converting all of your customers to being higher acquisition. There's a scale there between the two of them. When you're figuring out where you should allocate your resources, you sort of have inferred, hey, put a bid cap on the potentially low valuable customers, but there are some people in the low valuable customer bucket who are going to be high LTV customers, and you don't know that till after the fact. No, that's not true. 
that's the secret sauce of Retina. All right, tell me about it. So, of course, if you just started your D2C brand, then you have a lot of exploration to do to figure out which customers things are landing for well and which customers things are not landing for. But let's say you've been around for like 18 months and you've had like a few hundred thousand customers convert. Now you have enough data to understand what customer journey any customer is going to take. And by that, I mean that typically there are a few signals that we see if a customer, as they're walking in the door, if they've taken a similar path to like thousands of other customers in the past, you can very reliably estimate what their journey is going to look like. And that's just statistics, right? Like if you have enough customers that are following a certain path, your estimation of their lifetime value tends to be fairly accurately predictable. So what you do is you say, hey, look, somebody is walking in the door. I know the journey they've taken. And we've seen less than 10% of the times that somebody from this bucket will ever go to the higher LTV bucket, not worth spending the money on time on. And there's a lot more higher value in like going after the middle buckets most of the times. All right. So the takeaway here is that you're segmenting your marketing efforts, not by demographic, geographic type of categories. You're really looking for LTV segments. You're taking what the user experience is from a, a big amount of data, bucketing people by what you think their potential LTV are, and then you're setting your spend limits to make sure that you're not going to be upside down on those customers. Now, I'm assuming that even though you have a fair amount of data when you go into that, it's not a static thing, that those LTVs can change over time. So how are you adjusting your model as you get more data in the door? So as you get more data in the door, you have your transactional data, which is actual repeat transactions that are happening that are defining your understanding of what the intertransaction time is, how frequently the customer is actually coming back and how much they're spending. But you also have a bunch of other data sets that are changing that journey. So for example, new products that are getting introduced or competitors introduce a new product that can also change the dynamics of where your LTV goes or things like COVID that can change dramatically what your buying behavior might be with a brand. Think about buying clothes. We changed our behavior on that pretty dramatically after COVID started. I was already wearing sweatpants before COVID started, but go on. <laughs> the first time in my life I've been a, a trendsetter. I feel like you're an outlier. <laughs> <laughs> in fairness, I actually don't really wear a lot of sweatpants, but go on. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Customers do change their journey, and that's why you've got to keep scoring them and adapting to that. And that's why there's also use cases beyond marketing, right? So if you think about customer service. Whenever a customer service call comes in, the smart D2C marketers and smart consumer company marketers are generally prioritizing their calls to some degree based on expected residual lifetime value rather than the first-come-first-served basis. They're also potentially giving appeasement limits directly to the customer service rep on how much did you give away in appeasements before you say, no, we can't go beyond that. That's really interesting and smart. And I would say that that's a retention marketing strategy, even though customer service is not considered marketing. I want to go back to talking about the acquisition efforts and actually talk a little bit about the data flow. Mm -hmm. One of the challenges that we had when I was at the startup I mentioned before was Facebook didn't have the ability to ingest the type of revenue data that we would have wanted to send about a customer, right? It was just hey, we got someone to come to this transaction page. That now counts as a conversion. Go send us more people that look like people that are going to convert as opposed to here's how valuable these customers are. That has changed, right? You can actually send Facebook your revenue data and other signals. Walk me through what you should be sending to the platforms. Is it a good strategic decision to send you know, Facebook and Google 
every little detail about your business's operations, or should you be holding some back and being strategic about what information you share? I'm going to put the data privacy and how much of your data you want to share with Facebook aside. But let's say that you just cared about optimizing for business performance. What could Facebook do with some of that data? So there are two questions that we should address. One is the short-term question of like, has this problem been solved? And what are the implications of like this IDFA cookie pixel going away? What does Facebook do then? But then there's a longer term or more steady state question, which is like, what can Facebook do with this data? Let's address the second one first. So today, Facebook will not only take in just conversion value data, but you can send it post-conversion data, which is like how many transactions somebody had later on, which has become a pretty standard thing with most businesses that can send that data. So just for everybody who's not actively working in e-commerce, it used to be that you can put a pixel or mark a specific page and say, this is what my conversions are. Send me more people that look like conversions. Now you have the ability to create an audience and say, here are my conversions and here's how much each one of them is worth. And Facebook says, okay, we're going to prioritize the higher value conversions. And what you're saying, Ahmad, is that not only can you upload a list saying, here are my customers and their values, but you can, after they have become a conversion, basically post-mortem after the transaction, say, okay, now here's all the conversion data and the value so you can reassess the value of the people that you've driven to me and optimize future campaigns. Absolutely. And you can even do things that are pre-conversion, things like what kind of onboarding questions are people answering and which ones do I as a business believe are higher value questions. So there is a lot of customization that is now available. Now, the bigger implications of the IDFA and cookies going away changes are the ones that's that first question I was telling you is a hard one to grapple with because with the iOS changes, now there's a huge limitation of how many events per customer you can send. Like I think they've limited to like eight events per customer. There's an attribution window before you could like do a view through attribution for 30 days. That's going away, which is crazy because that has lots of other implications. So one of the ways that hasn't gone away, which I think is still a very clever way of addressing this issue, using the offline conversion pixel. So if you remember what offline conversion pixel is, you're getting the end consumer to opt in, obviously by whenever they go through and purchase something, but you send their one-way hashed email address back to Facebook along with an event timestamp, as well as the conversion value or whatever else you might want to send. And that's still a really smart way and probably the future of how I expect a lot of the marketing measurements going to be done going forward, not only for Facebook, but other walled gardens. That's hilarious that instead of saying, okay, fine, Facebook can have this pixel and can capture this data, and they're just going to use anonymized data to understand what's happening, the marketer then has to take the data from a conversion, anonymize it, and then manually send it back to Facebook for analysis. I don't think it has to be manual. You can use the API and there are going to be plenty of companies that are going to help do this. But it's also not 100% anonymized. There's a difference between hashed and anonymized. This is a one-way hash, which means that you go from an email to a scramble letter alphabets that cannot be turned back into an email, but it's always the same methodology used to hash it such that Facebook can then hash all of the email addresses it has for its user base and try to match it back to an actual user. So the first thing Facebook will tell you as soon as you send them this data is that, hey, 95% of your conversions matched my Facebook database. And the second thing that they'll do is like, all right, out of those, I was able to take attribution. And you now you can do like 30-day look back attribution or any other attribution. 
for X number of campaigns that just recently happened. So you can do both. At the end of the day, the direct-to-consumer model is one where it is not just about understanding who your customer is. It's about collecting enough data and getting a big enough signal so that you can use the marketing channels, the social media platforms to basically be your marketing AI engines and optimize your traffic and conversions for you. So we're going to continue this conversation tomorrow talking about some of the metrics and ratios that Ahmad mentions and mostly talking about how businesses are measuring their health based on using CAC to ROAS as a ratio. So that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Ahmad Hassan, co-founder and CEO of Retina AI. In part two of this interview, which we'll publish tomorrow, we're going to talk about measuring business health using CAC to ROAS ratios. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Ahmad, you can click on the link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter. His handle is Ahmadul Hassan, E-M-A-D-U-L-H-A-S-A-N. Or you could visit his company's website, which is retina.ai, R-E-T-I-N-A dot A-I. Just one more link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can also subscribe to our once a week newsletter and you can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is martechpod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or you can contact me directly. My handle is Ben J. Shap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day this year. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.